For the last few weeks, we've been celebrating our sixth annual New Reads November, exploring new YA books published in the last year or so. It's been fun, but now we get back to our roots with a return to throwback reads. Today, it's all about Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl. The book was published in 1970 and tells the story of a fox patriarch's efforts to fight back against a trio of evil human farmers who are hell-bent on depriving his family of food and, well, killing him. It's a short, straightforward little novel, but like all of Dahl's work, it has more than its share of darkness and weirdness, which means that we have plenty to discuss. My guest suggested that we read Fantastic Mr. Fox after attempting to read it with her own children, and we jump right into this episode with the things that struck her as most bizarre. We talk about the maleness of Dahl's worlds, Mr. Fox's high need for praise, body shaming and fat phobia, the power of graphic novels and illustrations, violence, and the glorification of stealing. I will add a trigger warning before we get started, since, as I mentioned a moment ago, we do talk quite a bit about weight and bodies. You also might notice that my audio jumps a couple of times on the recording. I'm not sure why this happened, but I don't expect it to affect your listening experience at all. You might not even notice it. Today's guest has been on my wish list for literal years, and I am so excited to finally have the opportunity to introduce you. Jesse Q. Sutanto grew up going back and forth between Jakarta and Singapore, and considers both places her home. She was fortunate enough to do her master's in creative writing at the University of Oxford, and admits to making Oxford her entire personality. Jesse is passionate about women's rights and diversity in publishing, and she encourages writers from marginalized communities to reach out via social media. You can find her on Instagram at jessiecusutanto and on Twitter at The Writing Hippo. Jesse is known for books like Vera Wong's Unsolicited Advice for Murderers and Dial A for Aunties, and you'll hear more at the end of our interview about her latest release, Didn't See That Coming, which is the follow-up to her YA debut, Well, That Was Unexpected. Thank you, Jesse, for joining me for episode 272. And thank you for listening to and supporting the podcast. If you're a new listener, welcome. You can keep up with podcast news and lots of other fun stuff by following along on social media. SSR is at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and on Facebook when you search the SSR Podcast or the SSR Book Club. If you still want more SSR, Patreon is absolutely the way to go. For as little as $1 per month, you can become a patron of the show, which means you are taking an active role in keeping it going. But you also get tons of other extra rewards. From bonus episodes and monthly newsletters to bonus Q&As with every guest and an amazing exclusive book club, I have the best time putting extra content together for the Patreon community. In December, the book club is reading Three Holidays and a Wedding, which as a big fan of festive reading, I am really excited about. Learn more and join us at www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or by going to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. This might be a little counterintuitive, but as I prepare to take a break from the podcast in the new year while I'm on maternity leave, it's never been a more important time to become a patron. I've been producing mostly free content for the last five and a half years, but that content requires a lot of time and quite a bit of financial investment too. I need your support to come back strong after Baby K's arrival. Again, you can become a patron by going to www.patreon.com slash SSRpodcast or to www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. You can also find your way to Patreon at the link in SSR's Instagram bio at SSRpod. 
We know that sharing is caring, so I always love sharing with you about Libro FM. Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, is the only place I buy and listen to audiobooks. If you are an Audible listener, I challenge you to give Libro FM a try using code SSRPODCAST, which will get you a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Amazon certainly has its place in our lives, but I love finding alternatives that support smaller businesses. And that's exactly what you get with Libro FM. It offers the exact same audiobooks as the ones you'll find on Audible, but it supports independent booksellers instead of giant corporations. Give it a try and let me know what you're listening to and loving. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Allie Hoff-Kosick, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. We are talking today about Fantastic Mr. Fox by Roald Dahl. And I always like to start Roald Dahl episodes with a little disclaimer because this author has a very complicated history and we're not going to spend a lot of time getting into that today because we have covered that on other episodes. So I will link those episodes in the show notes for those who want to go check it out. I just want to make sure that listeners know that we are aware that Roald Dahl is a very problematic fave for many people and that we are certainly not here to co-sign on any of his problematic behavior, but we are here to discuss a throwback read that you suggested, Jesse. And if I'm not mistaken, you suggested this one because you recently were reading it with your little one. Is that correct? A few months ago, I guess. I was reading it to my seven-year-old. And there were just so many things that I hadn't picked up as a child that both kind of like shocked and horrified me as an adult. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, welcome to my world. So did you read Roald Dahl when you were a kid? Yeah, I, um, I grew up reading a lot of, I guess, British authors because I grew up in Singapore. And so a lot of the books that we had were British authors like Roald Dahl and Enid Blyton. So I kind of grew up reading very problematic authors. Didn't we all? <laughs> and such is the theme of this podcast. Do you remember any particular favorite Roald Dahl books? Because I read a lot of his work as a kid, but I don't remember Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I'm actually not even sure that I read it before. I actually loved a lot of his books growing up. Maybe my favorite was Matilda. But, you know, I also loved Charlie and the Chocolate Factory because of all like the food descriptions. Oh, my God. Yeah. So good. Yeah, I really enjoyed Danny, the champion of the world. I just loved the relationship that like Danny had with his dad. And then I went on to read his short stories, which were mostly for adult readers. And they were all very like shocking and quite dark, like surprisingly dark for someone who's, who was a renowned like children's book author. So... 
yeah, I guess I should have known. Like, <laughs> it is so interesting that he he has this persona as like this wacky, whimsical children's author, and I think so many of us grew up like expecting that if we ever were to meet Roald Dahl, that he would be this like delightful, mm. silly man. And then of course we learn all these other things about him. And I haven't read his short stories for adults, but I have heard that they're very dark. And then yes, when you revisit the children's books, which I've now done quite a bit for the podcast, you realize that those are pretty dark too. So Fantastic Mr. Fox was published in 1970. You came back to it with your seven-year-old recently, and because you've already told us that you were shocked by some of the dark stuff that's going on, I'm just going to invite you like, to talk to me about that. What was the first thing that really surprised you when you came back to Fantastic Mr. Fox? So, um, okay, so this is a problem, an ongoing problem that I have noticed in a lot of the children's books that I've been reading to my kids which is a serious lack of female characters. Mm. So what I didn't remember about Fantastic Mr. Fox is that literally all of the active characters are male. So like there's Mr. Fox, obviously, um, but like the three villains are male. And um, when Mr. Fox, you know, and then the 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 female characters are super helpless they're like damsels in distress there's mrs fox and she's just like oh oh my babies are gonna be killed <laughs> and so in the story you know mr fox goes digging to kind of find like a way out for his family and he comes across all these other families like he comes across like mr badger and mr badger is like oh mrs badger is just like beside herself you know she can't even get out of bed and all of the female characters are helpless and it really annoys me because like I read a lot of books to my kids and like most of them you know like it's male as the default and then a lot of the books like don't even have female characters and so like it just is a constant source of irritation for me and to see it so like so clearly i guess in this book you know where the female characters are just helpless like the kids are stronger than the moms which you know it's like like i have kids and i know that's not the case <laughs> sorry kids <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know sorry kids but, like kids are really whiny and <laughs> and kind of helpless I don't know a single mom friend who would be like, oh no, my kids are, you know, going to get killed. I'm just going to lie in bed helplessly, you know. They're, all of my mom friends would be like, oh my God, I need to do something. Yeah. So that was such a rant, but, you know, I have had enough of this. <laughs> I love a rant. I mean, I am here for all the rants. We <laughs> welcome them on this podcast. And I'm actually so glad that you started with that because – I had some similar vibes about that and I wasn't sure if I was overreacting and so I'm glad mm. that you share that frustration. And I did want to point out, I read articles that mentioned that at the beginning of this year, 2023, Penguin okayed a bunch of revisions to Roald Dahl's work, which was very controversial for a number of reasons. Wes Anderson, the filmmaker who has adapted a number of Roald Dahl's books, including Fantastic Mr. Fox, was very outspoken about the fact that like... Nobody should be touching any artist's work, particularly without their permission. 
And there was a very short list of changes that were made to Fantastic Mr. Fox, one of which was that one of Mr. Fox's sons was changed to a daughter. And after I read that article, I was like, okay, great. But that completely missed me in the reading experience. Like, if they did do that, Mm-hmm. For me, it didn't seem to tip the balance at all so that suddenly we had this like girl power element to the story. And it sounds like maybe you feel the same way. Yeah. Oh, I I don't know if I got the edited version. Probably. No, I don't think I did. It's still the sun. Yeah. Maybe I didn't have the edited version either because I felt as though there were no young female foxes running around Mm -hmm. but to piggyback on what you said I think the thing that really bothered me about the gendered representation in this book was this sense of like hero worship toward Mr. Fox like you talked about sort of the helpless nature of Mrs. Badger and Mrs. Fox but like I couldn't get over how much praise Mr. Fox seemed to require from his wife oh my god there were so many points where like Mrs. Fox is making this big scene to her kids about like, you are so lucky that your father is so strong. Mm -hmm. She makes this big toast at the end of the book when they're all having this feast about like, thank goodness we have my husband here to save us all. And again, like I wasn't sure if I was reading into it so much because this is a short book. And so I knew that like we were probably going to have a shorter conversation about it. And I was probably like reading into a lot of things. But the fact that you picked up on that same imbalance makes me feel better because I was just annoyed that like Mr. Fox needed his ego stroked so much. Yeah. So when I read it to my kid, I like to change the the genders of the characters just to kind of bring a bit of balance. So it was too late to change like Mr. Fox, <laughs> but I switched like everyone else. So like Mr. Badger and like all of the the other characters are female. But, you know, it, it takes so much effort to to kind of like remember that. And then now I'm noticing that my five-year-old, she gets like she and he like mixed up a lot and I'm like oh no is it because I I keep like switching them when I read books just to kind of balance it out otherwise like they don't see any aside from books that are I feel like specifically marketed towards girl readers like if you just pick up like a typical book then chances are it's not going to have like female characters. It's a real thing. We talk about that on the podcast, especially with older books. And I don't know if this resonates with you at all, but as I have sort of combed through all of these old titles for kids, like there are so many books that nobody ever handed to me because I think they were classified as like boy books. And that was probably because they featured boy protagonists and maybe like different kinds of action and themes. And so I think I am listening to your experience switching genders, which I love as like a an, an almost new mom. I'm like, I'm going to have to think about that for the future with these books. But I think that it's a shame because there are so many books that kids are not given because the adults in their lives make assumptions that they won't enjoy them based on like the gender of the characters or on the gendered marketing. And at the same time, there's a lack of representation And we talk about this in literature all the time, like we need more representation in general, but these classic books that were written in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 
where are the girls in this book? Like this is, it's, it's this sort of like man versus nature story. It's a pretty like classic tale, whether you like it or not. And like, where are the girls? So I totally hear what you're saying. And I would imagine that if you're reading a book to your kid, especially if it's the end of the day and you're tired and you want them to go to bed, the last thing that you are prepared to think about is like the pronouns and switching them in and out all the time. Yeah. So that's really annoying. And then the other thing that um, really surprised me was the characters of the villains, like the three farmers, right? It's very like body shaming. Yes, (laughs) totally. Roald Dahl was so fat phobic. And this is something that we talk about, especially with like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. If you think about Mm. the characters in Charlie and the Chocolate Factory who are ridiculed the most. It's like the kids who are in bigger Mm. bodies, like the kids who really want to eat the chocolate river. It's like Charlie is the one who is the hero, not only because he is, quote, morally good, but he also happens to be thin. And I've seen this in a lot of Roald Dahl books. Like, there's so much made of characters who are, quote, fat. Mm. He really leans into that theme. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's like the chicken farmer who is, described as like enormously fat and then like uh the other farmer the duck and goose farmer he's like described as like a pot-bellied dwarf and then he kind of makes fun of like his height like he was so short his chin would have been underwater in the shallow end of any swimming pool you know I was just kind of like ah you know and and I, I had to kind of pause and like explain to my seven-year-old like oh by the way this is an actual like condition you know and like it's not something like that you should kind of like be making fun of or you know like it has nothing to do with him being like a mean person or anything you know like I I guess I just noticed that with Dal he he really likes to link the physical attributes to like their characteristics. And then like the third farmer is like super, super skinny. And it was, it was so interesting. Like he's an alcoholic uh, basically because he only drinks cider, which in England is an alcoholic beverage. Um, Then he's like, he's as thin as a pencil and the cleverest of them all. Of course. I was like, oh my God. I don't know, like the whole, their entire uh, body type was just like all three of them were just like hyper problematic, which is quite a feat, I think. Yeah, to somehow demonize people on like both ends of like the extreme body spectrum is, like you said, it's a feat. And I think, I think one thing that has always made Dahl a favorite among kids is that he really is like in on the joke with them and he is he's great at making adults look silly which kids love because they want to be the hero of their own stories they're used to being the ones that are made to feel silly and so I think that that is why or at least partially why his work has endured through so many generations and I I think that there's something to be said for that like it's fun for that power dynamic to be flipped But it's frustrating when it feels like it comes at the expense of like this larger commentary on someone's body. And of course, in 2023, like we're we're actively trying to change the way that we talk about bodies and health. And he does have this habit of constantly conflating 
someone's body size with their morality. And more often than not, it is somebody who is in a bigger body who is then just immediately coded to be bad or evil. Like he leads with that. And I think that's the issue. Like I think there is, there's this new freedom, I think, in newer literature that we found to describe people as fat and not have it be such a damning thing. Like fat is no longer a terrible word and people are taking the power back with it, which is great. But I I think that we're not leading with that. Like in, in general, and you can speak to this more in your own work, like I feel like we as a community of writers and in publishing, like we are leading less with characters' physical traits and sort of peppering that information in later. Whereas growing up, I remember reading books and like anytime you'd meet a new character, there would be a full paragraph that would describe them in depth. Mm, that's so true. Right? And now I don't think that that is, is the case so much. Do you find that in your own writing and when you read the work of your peers? Yeah, I mean, definitely in my own writing, I don't like to describe characters. I think just because I'm naturally not that great at this particular thing. So, you know, I, I just, like, I just kind of revert naturally to like, oh, he is handsome. But then it's like, that's just bad, you know, bad writing. So. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I do like notice it less. And what's actually really great is I, I've been reading, um, you know, the Babysitter's Club Little Sister books? Yes. So they recently like updated them into mm -hmm. graphic novels so I've been reading those to my kids as well as like the original chapter books because I grew up reading the original chapter books and what's really great is that in the graphic novel the artist has like really kind of diversified the characters so like so there's Karen I think she's pretty like she's pretty much the same as she was in like the original, but like Hanny is now, I think she's half, half black or half Indian. I think it's half Indian um, and half white. And, and then Nancy, I, I don't know, like I wouldn't really call her fat, but like she is not thin and nothing is ever, you know, it's, it's not an issue. Like she's just, there, you know, she's a different body size than the other girls. And she just like has her own like little like, storylines and all that. And I never mention anything to my kids and they just love it. They, they're they like, oh, we love Nancy because um, she's such a good friend to Karen. And there's like no mention of her size or anything, you know, they're just kind of like taking it in and it's normal and it's great. And I love it. Like those, the graphic novels just make me so happy. Yeah. Well, it's just kids existing. And it's, I think in writing, of course, we talk all the time about like showing versus telling. And the beauty of a graphic novel is that it takes that like pressure to describe and to try to like pigeonhole a character into a certain yeah. look. It takes that away because the artist gets to imagine or reimagine the character and just put that on the page for readers to take in. Yeah. Speaking of illustrations, I found an article or a blog post or something, and I'll link it in the show notes, about Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I think it, it brings in some of Roald Dahl's other books as well. But 
Fantastic Mr. Fox at least has had over the years, I think like three or four different illustrators. Oh, okay. So the the edition that you and I both read, I think, has illustrations by Quentin Blake. And Quentin Blake is the artist who is most commonly associated, I think, today with Roald Dahl's work. Mm-hmm. But this particular blogger or journalist was commenting on the problematic nature of the illustrations themselves and how with these villains, these three farmers, especially like Quentin Blake has really like gone full force into making them look fat and mean and scary. And he actually traces the other illustrations. So you can like kind of see how they've evolved over the years. And he comments on how like we're socializing kids with these illustrations to view people a certain way. And I thought that that was fascinating because it's not something I'd ever thought about. I grew up only ever seeing the Quentin Blake illustrations on Roald Dahl books. So I thought that's what they always looked like. Mm-hmm. So um, that's a really interesting read for those who want to check it out. And I, I'm curious, like, did your kids make any comments about the illustrations? Or like, what did they think about those in this book? Uh, so we actually didn't finish reading uh, Mr. Fox because my seven-year-old found it boring. It is a little boring. <laughs> It's so funny because I remember as a kid, I was just like enchanted by it. And and so I was just kind of like, yeah, okay, we don't need to keep reading this. But you know what's interesting is I bought like a bunch of David Walliams books because I did not know how freaking problematic they are. And oh my God, like... (laughs) Uh, uh, anyway, so I feel like his publisher is really like pushing him as like the next Roald Dahl, where even like his illustrations are very similar, I think, to Quentin Blake's, um, you know, to the point where my kids were like, oh, is this Roald Dahl um, when they picked up his book? And um, I noticed like the exact same thing that you just pointed out with like how the the overweight characters are are kind of illustrated in this really horrible like villainous way using their body i i don't know like it's just very clear you know that there's like a correlation between um their body and like their villainy or whatever but yeah so Looking at the illustrations as a grown-up, I'm like, oh my gosh, they're so bad. (laughs) Yeah, and like Roald Dahl and Quentin Blake are certainly not the first or the only creators to use character descriptions as like a shorthand to, to hint to readers or consumers what they're supposed to think of characters. But like this feels like it it takes things to a new and aggressive level. Yeah. Something that I was reading in a lot of the reviews that I read of Fantastic Mr. Fox, mostly from like more contemporary readers. There's a lot of parents who like blog about their experience reading books like this with their kids. Mm. People were very disturbed by how violent it is and like the language about like killing Mr. Fox and like killing his whole family and I mentioned earlier that it's this classic like man versus nature story, which is true. And I was surprised having never read this book, or at least not remembering having read this book, I was surprised by how like the whole premise of this book, it's it's like a blood war between the animals and the farmers. And there's something a little confusing because this is such a short book. 
it is written in such spare, simple language. So in a lot of ways, it feels like it's appropriate for like five, six, seven-year-old readers. But then a lot of parents who are writing about their experiences reading it were like, this feels too scary for my five, six, seven-year-old. I would recommend it for someone older. And so I feel like it kind of falls in this weird place where it's written stylistically for a much younger reader, but I can see how a lot of little kids would be very put off by it. Did you have any thoughts about that or did that come up at all in your reading experience, whatever, however much of it you got through with your kids? They only got through, I think, like a couple of chapters and then I think they were quite bored. But I will say that my kids love Captain Underpants. Fair. (laughs) And Captain Underpants is like very violent. Right. But it's very like humorous and like somehow not at all scary, even though it's you know, the threat is a very, very like, the stakes are so high and so ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, So I think Captain Underpants has prepared them. They're ready. They're ready for the violence (laughs) with the fox. (laughs) Yeah. um, But they they got like, they get scared. They read uh, Matilda and they were really scared of like the trunchbull. See again, it's like the trunchbull. Like even her name, you know, indicates like a large right. figure, like bullish figure. So I I don't know. It's it's very disturbing and it's sad. And but you know, at the same time, they're like like Matilda is on Netflix, and they're like oh my gosh, you know, I love Matilda. So as a parent, I'm kind of like, how do I, like, I don't want to restrict the, you know, the show that all of their friends are talking about. But then at the same time, I'm also like, well, um, we should have a talk about how like, Jessica's like this and that, you know, and then they're like, yeah, okay, mom, I know. Do you? Do you know? (laughs) or do you just want to watch Matilda (laughs) yeah I think uh this book I was just shocked like immediately almost like the fox has his tail shot off with a gun and I I was like oh my gosh like Mm. that escalated very quickly and then the, the farmers are like staking out the foxhole and they're basically like sworn enemies with this fox family And as an adult, of course, I understand like, yes, like these are the forces that are at work often in agricultural communities. Like we do often have to deal with these kinds of situations. I was just surprised by how central that violence against a sweet little animal. I mean, I don't love Mr. Fox because again, he has a high needs for ego praise. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't my favorite character. But still, I was like, if I had read this as a kid, I'd be like, wait the whole book is just about like killing a fox or depriving him of food. Like it's pretty, it's pretty dark. And the other sort of question mark that it seems like a lot of parents were raising and even teachers, I think wrote about this in a couple of blog posts, all of which I can include in the show notes listeners. They were talking about this glorification of stealing. Mm, Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not one who feels as though every kid's book needs to have a moral. I think we're past that. I think in the seventies, that was much more in fashion. Like this probably was controversial because there is no real like moral to it. But the whole book really is about Mr. Fox putting together this group of friends to steal food from the farmers. And he is like, he's avenging his family because again, they're trying to 
kill his family. Mm-hmm. And it almost reminded me of like Les Miserables where it's like, would you steal bread to feed your family? And like, yes, Mr. Fox would. Like he too, he too would would steal bread to feed his family. But um, there are a lot of teachers who are like, I don't know that I would bring this into my classroom because there's no happy ending. And the whole moral is that like, stealing is cool yeah because um he doesn't just steal like bread you know like he doesn't he doesn't just steal like sustenance he also goes and steals the cider and it's after you know the book talks about like kind of what cider is and you know it's pretty clear that it's like a grown-up drink or whatever and i i kind of thought like was is interesting that like mr fox would also steal that so then it kind of turns it from like oh hey you know we need to eat to keep alive to kind of like oh we're we're taking because we can like literally because they can and again like as something when I read this book as a child I completely missed that I just thought well there are three farmers so of course he would steal from all three of them yeah there's also a very drunk rat which I did not see coming but yeah it was a twist to see just this like fully wasted rodent yeah. trying to get the fox away from the the cider. Uh, so yeah, I mean, this is a really weird book. And the books that we've read of Roald Dahl's have ranged in weirdness. They're all a little weird. He's a wacky guy, yeah. among other things. But this book was weird. And it was funny when I posted a picture of it and shared that I was reading it for the podcast, a few people messaged me and were like, I can't wait for you to tear this apart. <laughs> and I couldn't figure out at first like what what they were talking about because this book is so small. And I was like, I don't know what is here for me to tear apart. But the more I got into it and the more I thought about it, I was like, I don't know that there's a ton of bad stuff here. But for me, there wasn't that much good stuff. Mm. No, I I totally get what I totally get what you mean. Like like all of the I think classic Roald Dahl problems are there with like the body shaming and you know and then but then there actually isn't that much. Yeah, I guess because it is such a tiny little story. But yeah, I was just really like I was very disturbed with myself because I just had the fondest memories of it as a you know from when I was a child and I remember like loving the the description of like the food you know and yeah I'm I'm always about like the food description (laughs) (laughs) I get it and how like it ends with like a giant feast and I'm like wow it sounds delicious you know (laughs) <laughs> I'd like to be invited to this underground yeah. feast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think like, you know, all of these sort of classic Roll doll problems are here without any of the magic. Like mm. with all of the issues that we have with this author in 2023, all of the conversations that we're able to have about him both as a human and as a writer. Like I think so many people think about books like Matilda and Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and James and the Giant Peach and think about like, yes, we can see that there are these issues. He has a tendency to do these same things over and over again that just do not hold up. 
But at the same time, we have these like fantastic candies and Matilda is this really, you know, precocious kid who so many young readers can relate to. Yeah. And there just isn't anything in Fantastic Mr. Fox to hold on to, I don't think, for young readers or adults. Like, I can't imagine anybody feeling a great deal of nostalgia for this book if they were to come back to it and read it to their kids, which sounds like it's reflective of your experience. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely one of those like, oh, this this is not as awesome as I remember it. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> Let's go read Captain Underpants. <laughs> yeah. But then, you know, then, I mean, I'm glad that I, I went back and read it uh, again because then now we can, like, talk about it. And I just love, like, revisiting childhood reads to see which ones, like, stood the test of time. Well, you're in the right place because that is what we do every week. Um, I'm so glad that we had this talk. I honestly was a little worried because, again, with these small, short books, you don't always know yeah. how much there's going to be to dig into. And I think we we mined this book and we found all of the issues with it. And I'm, I'm grateful that you were open to doing that with me. Other than Fantastic Mr. Fox, I'd love to hear if there are things that you've been reading that you might actually recommend to our listeners. It doesn't have to be a kid's book. It can be just anything that you've been enjoying lately that you would want to put on their radar. So I'm like in the kid's book uh, mindset now. So yeah. uh, so like I um, mentioned the Babysitter's Club Little Sister graphic novels. And uh, my kids love um, the Princess in Black books. Oh my God, I love them too. They're so good. Um, they're just so inclusive and so, so cute and just so funny. So highly, highly recommend them. I'm listening to Bright Young Women by uh, Jessica Knoll. And it's a really hard listen. Like I'm, I'm genuinely stressed out listening to it, but it's good. Yeah. So I wouldn't recommend it if, you know, you want to like kind of chill and and you know <laughs> um but yeah it's it's good but it's it's very it's tough because because you just like it's just so realistic that's that's why it's it's so tough to listen to yeah bright young women is on my shelf and i'm excited to read it but i feel that way about all of jessica Knowles' books like they're great but they're hard to read yeah. you have to be in the right mindset to jump into them so i will I'll make sure that I include links to all of those recommendations in the show notes. And we also have to talk about your new book, Jesse, which came out on November 28th. It is called Didn't See That Coming. And I can't wait to hear all about it. Tell us everything. So um, this is a spinoff character from uh, my previous young adult rom-com. Well, that was unexpected. But in this one, the main character is called Kiki. And um, her parents just switched her from this kind of like liberal high school to like a very conservative one uh, in Asia. And she is also a girl gamer, but um, she plays her, her gamer tag uh, is dude bro because she doesn't want people to know that she's a girl because otherwise she gets harassed. Oh, okay. So of course she has like an online best friend who thinks she's a guy. And then she finds out that he actually goes to her new school. And so she's kind of like trying to find out like who is her online bestie. Um, 
while also, you know, trying to survive like this ultra conservative school. Oh, that sounds so good and like so fresh and modern and like perfect for 2023 readers. Well, congratulations on having it out in the world. I'm so excited for you. Listeners, be sure you get your copy of Didn't See That Coming, as well as Jesse's many other books. I see them all lined up on your shelf behind you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and that must be so fun to like walk in and see, oh, there's my books on the shelf. So fun. And I'm, I'm just so happy for you and for all of your success. Thank you. Yeah, no, like this is, I, I'm actually in my dining room. So this <laughs> The shelf is like in my dining room and I really like having people over, you know, because I'm so obnoxious like that. So then I'll just like, come on in to the dining room and then, and I'll just like sit here right in front of the shelf. You know? <laughs> You're like, oh, did I leave those books on the shelf? I'm so, oh, I meant to clean them up. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I would leave them up. If I have, if I have as many books as you have out in the world one day, then I will proudly display them all on my shelf for all to see. So I respect that. And I'm just so happy for you. And listeners, make sure you grab Didn't See That Coming. Um, I will include links to it in the show notes on social media this week. And Jesse, it's just been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSRPod on Instagram and Twitter, and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.